You're listening to the Built Shaves Podcast, presented by Midco Sports. With the college basketball season now underway, it is the best time to sign up for Midco Sports Plus, your streaming destination for University of North Dakota hoops, as well as football, volleyball, soccer, softball, and more. Midco Sports Plus is the home of the Summit League Network, giving you access to live games across the league from opening tip to final whistle. Sign up today at midcosportsplus.com. This is how we do sports, and this is the Built Shaves Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bill Shaves Podcast. We are taping this on a Tuesday morning, the 19th of December, just six days away from Christmas. Bill Shaves, Alex Heinrich, Bill, how are things this holiday season? You know, I think we have had a mild winter so far, Alex. That's what I'd say. <laughs> Not a lot of precipitation, although last Saturday was a bit tricky. That's what I'll tell you. We had a mm. we had a basketball game, and I think just the timing of the storm was just really interesting. Uh, a lot of folks got stuck in uh, uh, on Saturday morning, but I, hopefully, knock on wood, uh, they all got out in, in, in doing their thing. Actually, had a pretty good crowd for the men's game last week, so so it was good, really good. Yeah. Portland's team bus got stuck. Those are one of the one of the groups that were having a tough time with the weather. I think there was supposed to be rain, and I think the temps just got a little bit too low. Next thing you know, you, you know, I think it caught everybody by surprise, and then people were kind of doing their Saturday morning routines. Hard to go move snow at that point in time. Everyone was kind of doing their things, including the bus trying to get from really 42nd by the Alara center over to the Betty, not that far as a crow flies, but they weren't getting there. Yeah. Not with the drifts, not like that. So, but again, yeah. Game went off without a hitch. Good to see the crowd. We, I know from a Midco perspective, we had to shuffle a bit because again, nobody thought we were supposed to get what we got overnight. And so a lot of our crew comes up from Fargo, weren't able to make it because the interstate was closed. But again, we're, we're blessed to have a lot of people in grand forks, that were able to step in and make things happen. And we still were able to get, get the game off and have everybody ready for hockey that night. So the great ones adjust, Bill. And that's that's what happens over the course on a lot of different numbers on Saturday. But yeah, that's been few and far between. It has been a beautiful winter so far. Last one on that one. And I know you pinched hit and, and Val came in and did color, but um, wasn't your most routine roster though, was it? I mean, it wasn't <laughs> like you had uh, a lot of Smiths and Jones. I mean, it, there was a lot of challenges. Yeah, I found out at 8 a.m. that I was going to be announcing that game, which was a one o'clock tip. And yes, Portland has players from 10 different countries. And so there were a lot of unique pronunciations of last names from Eastern Europe and guys from guys from all over again, literally all over the globe. But we we joked after the fact, like we we're soccer guys, so we're used to people with unique last names and different emphasis on up and down syllables and things like that. So it's fine, it was no big deal. Just just another. Sometimes day. they just have one name, you know. <laughs> Sometimes they do. Sometimes, they, and that would have been easier if there was just one in certain occasions. But enough about enough about that. We've got a special guest. It's almost Christmas. It's not Santa Claus, but we're being joined by another man who's jolly. <laughs> And universally loved the general manager of Ralph Engelstad Arena since 2005, going on nearly year 20 here. He's Jody Hodgson joining the Bill Chaves podcast today. Jody, thanks for taking some time to be with us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we figured this was the uh, a really good time as we're kind of in the break right now between uh... – you know, between uh, hockey hockey games or at least in a three-week break. And I know you're able to at least take a little bit of a, a look at maybe what's happening in the first half from a hockey season perspective, but it's been it's been, it's been pretty good, huh, Joe? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, been a great run, both on the ice and off the ice. 
I think if you look at uh, the success the team has had, that is certainly translated into into our crowds and attendance. We're uh, we're happy to say we've had 13 sellouts so far. We've played uh, 13 home games, and all 13 of them have sold out to this point in the year. So really a, a really good start from a business standpoint and really excited about the second half of the season, both on the ice and uh, then for, for most of us on this side of the business off the ice as well. Yeah, the building has had a lot to cheer about over the first three months of the season. Yeah. And honestly, too, I think that you and your group continue to do a great job of giving the fans those extra things to get excited about. Things like bringing Tony Herkus back for one more shift and having having the dogs in the arena the other day. <laughs> like, there's just been so many great things. And that, that of course, is going to continue in the new year. Talk a bit about what's in store. Yeah, there's going to be lots of those things, right? We're going to kickstart the second half of the season with our Kids Carnival on Saturday, December the 30th, when we play the U.S. National Team Development Program. So kind of a, a real festival atmosphere for kids on the concourse. And second half of the year is going to include things like our kids takeover night when we'll bring lots of young people in from Wilder Elementary this year and kind of turn things over to them for different parts of the game. That's always a fun night. We're going to do another one more shift. We've got our fan appreciation weekend at the end of the year. We're going to play Denver here on a Friday night at 730. That's going to be a a CBS national television game. So we're going to open doors at six o'clock and have a bit of a 90 minute pregame party and happy hour here. So lots of exciting things here coming in the second half. Hey, Joe, and I, I haven't looked at the, uh, at the schedule is, is Teddy Roosevelt making appearance again? Yeah, we're doing Medora night. We're doing Medora night on February 23rd. So uh, I expect to see Alex in a big hat. We've got a big hat for him ready to go that night. And uh, buckle and all, I expect him to be in full garb. That's always a highlight. That's been a personal highlight for me to hang out with TR up in the booth a couple of times, hear about all the sorts of things that have come through his life. That's that's a fun, fun thing in partnership with our good friends from Western North Dakota. Have you been able to get him out of character, Alex? <laughs> not not on television. No, no. <laughs> Can't break him. Never breaks. That guy's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it he should is. be a lot of fun. No question. Hey, Jody, talk about, you know, we, we're, we've we been fortunate enough uh, over the course of, uh, oof, it, it could be who knows how long at this point in time, decade plus of having uh, a Hall of Fame game. And so next year, um, although we've done it in various sites be, uh, before, the last few years, last few times, um, next year, it's going to be a little bit different. So why don't you just talk about that real quick? Yeah, the thought for next year's game is a little bit of a staycation here in Grand Forks. So we're going to play Providence College here on a Saturday night, October the 12th. And it's going to be a single game weekend, one game on a Saturday night. But admittedly, the thought was uh, to keep that game at home. The thought was to try and benefit uh, our local economy and our local partners in the community that are so good to, to UND and the Ralph all of the time. We're going to try and create kind of a fun festival destination game atmosphere right in Grand Forks. And the other thing we're going to do is we're doing an all hockey reunion. So we're inviting back all of our former uh, hockey alumni members from all eras to town that weekend. And we're going to try and do a Friday night banquet with them and a Saturday afternoon scrimmage with them and a pregame party outside on the plaza and uh, then have that game Saturday night at six o'clock. So 
we're really excited about that to add what the NCAA refers to as an exempt game or an additional game to the schedule to bring another game to Grand Forks. And admittedly, we're going to try and uh, benefit our local economy and do that thing right here at home next year, as opposed to a neutral site. I think it'll, I, you know, I, I, I'm pretty bullish on it. I think it'll go over pretty well. And I, and I think to be able to bring back the alums surrounding a game too, I think they'll be excited about that. Yeah, me too. I think on the ice, Providence College is good, right? They're having a good year this year. Uh, they're probably geared up here for a good second half in hockey. East, so it should be a, a really competitive game on the ice. And then the opportunity to to have alumni members and their children come back like that, that, Part of our thought there is to do it on that weekend when when guys can bring their kids back to see where they played and bring them to Grand Forks and do that all in town as opposed to a, a destination event one time is certainly something we were interested in doing. Well, interestingly as well, you know, it, every year is its own. This year just happened to be when we had home football games, it felt like it was a double double dip day, right? So next yeah. year actually goes almost opposite 180 degrees. We've just got one doubleheader day. So that particular game will not be a doubleheader. So that probably makes it a little bit easier as well, probably on our staff and for folks that just want to come in and enjoy their family and, and the Ralph. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. I think we're at home, what, seven times with home football next year. And I think we only, uh, there's one day in November when we're going to have a football game at noon and a hockey game at six and, I think that'll be the one time a year where we'll uh, play both football and hockey at home in the regular season next year. That sounds good to us. Yeah. From a perspective. <laughs> no objections, Alex. We're not, well, I'm not, I'm not super upset about that. That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. Um, just because you're talking about this, this discussion point, destination games are not going away necessarily just taking a little hiatus, obviously with Vegas and Nashville coming back to back 2024 will be in Grand Forks, but there's still talk of, potentially going back on the road, taking this show back to a major city sometime in the not so distant future. You don't have to go into specifics, but just so the fans know that idea is not dead. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, Admittedly, we thought we went to the well a couple of times in pretty close proximity, right? Coming out of COVID, we had back-to-back games and we know our fans spend a lot of money to attend those games. And we also know we're we're trying to sell regional events and we're trying to sell... um, Frozen Four, hopefully that we're participating, right? And those types of things. So we realize that there's lots of different events and we're pulling on people for lots of different opportunities. So we're going to take a little bit of a breather here. And uh, the game in Grand Forks next year is intended to be that breather. But in 2026, we're going back on the road to a neutral site. And uh, we've got a site uh, that we're committed to and we're in discussions with them and it, uh, all signs are uh, pointing to go, and we're gonna we're gonna go back on the road in the fall of 2026. Well, that's exciting. Something to look forward to here. Yeah. Just, I mean, and that'll that'll be here before we know it. As crazy as that is, yeah. Just because we're talking about where hockey games are going to be played, there was some big news that just broke this morning with the NCHC deciding to change officially their format for the conference tournament beginning in the 25-26 season. Once the contract extension with the Excel Energy Center expires. We're going to be having home sites throughout the conference tournament, Jody. And that means the Ralph could be hosting a semifinal and a championship game, just as you did during that COVID season of 2020, 2021. Just your thoughts on that shift instead of going to a neutral site for the semis and finals to now being at a home venue of the top remaining seat throughout. 
Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Like if I if I look at it through the prism of my role here and in the venue here at the Ralph, I think it's awesome. Like I think the opportunity to play a semifinal as a single game on a Saturday night in Grand Forks, and if we're lucky enough to win that, the opportunity to play again a week later in a championship game with a berth in the NCAA tournament on the line, I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to... Uh, I think it's going to bring games back into venues where every game will be important with a great home crowd in each situation. And I just, uh, I kind of love that part of playoff hockey and the, uh, the ability to win and progress and possibly to continue to do that at home where your fans get on a, a bit of a playoff run with you and the excitement that brings from a fan standpoint. And I think we all, we all romanticize a little bit about what the final five used to be and the magic it was in the old WCHA days. And certainly the world has, has changed a ton since those days, right? And the NCHC as the premier college hockey conference in the country does a fantastic job with all of their events, including the tournament in St. Paul. But I think the world's changed a little bit. And I think uh, the timing of this change is good for us. I'm really excited about it going back to campus sites. And uh, I always remember one conversation, whether you're talking about neutral site games or you're talking about NCAA regionals. I remember a Monday morning here chatting with Dave Haxtall after UND had gone on the road and won at the Cole Center in an NCAA regional. Place was packed and a great home ice advantage and great college atmosphere for Wisconsin. And I remember Dave saying, "Hey, I'd rather I'd rather lose on the road in that environment than uh, play in a building with fifteen hundred people, uh, where where it doesn't have that type of college student athlete experience." He said, "Hey, every every kid should have been lucky enough to play in that environment last night, and that's what they'll remember." So, I, I think we're going to go back to that. I think have an opportunity to do that on campus sites. Yeah, I I would say. I agree with everything Jody just said. I, I would say from the conversations we had uh, with the athletic directors, um, I think it was just a good timing for us to to try this out. I think the XL has been great for us. I think it's been, um, you know, I think it's been wonderful going down to St. Paul, but I do think that we needed to think through uh, what made sense once Arizona State came into the league. And I think with us potentially adding another playoff week so that it limits the amount of times you could actually be playing heading into the regional, that was certainly a consideration as well. And then the other piece is, like Jody said, I think it doesn't matter who is playing at home, there's going to be tremendous excitement in that community. And I think that will grow the league even more in that regard as well. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just think it was time. And, and, you know, you never say never moving forward too. who knows, you know, you could go all the way back around and maybe go do it again somewhere at a neutral location. But I think the timing was right for us to try this. And we've seen other leagues around the country do it as well. Uh, and they've had some success with it. So I I think uh, I think all those reasons it made sense for us to think through, uh, you know, changing the format. Yeah, I think the other one that comes to me, Bill, would be that uh, the desire to make sure your teams are ready to go for the NCAA tournament the week after totally. the conference tournament. Like with the shift to Thursday, Saturday, Friday, Sunday regionals, 
our NCHC teams that play in that championship game could see themselves playing Friday and Saturday in St. Paul, traveling home and then leaving Tuesday to go to an NCAA regional. So I think the opportunity to play just a single, to play yeah. a Saturday semifinal and then a Saturday championship game before you head off to the regional. And one of those two teams in the championship game is going to be at home and not have to travel. So I think it'll, uh, we certainly, uh, We've, we've had a lot of great luck at the NCAA tournament for sure, right, as a conference. But I think as this world is changing with the four-day regionals now and the day off in between, I think it puts the conference in a pretty good spot competitively as well. Yeah, I, I would agree with with that, Jody. The, the other piece um, of the puzzle as well is uh, – with it being uh, an eight, nine game is going to be playing at the uh, site of the top seed. So that that'll be a little bit of a different wrinkle as well. And so that had to be worked out, but um, I I think, I think it's, it's the right move. I think that's the right play as well. So uh, yeah, I I think commissioner Weems uh, has done a nice job with this uh, thought process uh, moving forward. Given now that the conference tournament is going to be on home sites, now for the NCHC, for CCHA, for the Big Ten, do you see this perhaps being a precursor to the NCAA regionals moving back mm. to campus sites in the not so distant future? Mm. Well, I would, I would sure love it. I would sure vote in favor of that. <laughs> I, I'd be a big supporter of that. But I, I haven't heard that. Bill would know better than I. But uh, I haven't heard the two be linked uh, in any plans or thoughts to. To this point, uh, I haven't heard that. I would agree. I, I think, uh, you know, that conversation would have to be had uh, post the year with all the coaches uh, in one spot. And, you know, from all understanding at this point in time, I think still the majority would rather have a neutral site from a competitive standpoint. So I think that's that's kind of still where we've been. I, I know where we would fall into the mix for sure um, as far as wanting to have home sites, but I haven't heard that at this stage of the game. Although I know someone on the rules committee. And so at the end of the day, I could always <laughs> walk down the hall and see if, you know, maybe that is in his purview. I mean, he's right down the hall. It's it's a short walk. You, you never know what might come from those conversations with one Eric Martinson. We do have a question from one of our listeners, Jody, that we talked about a bit last week on our podcast, but we thought it would be more pertinent to pose it to you because you're in charge of these buildings and of these decisions. So Robbie Whalen at 30 Wales on Twitter asks, why are the new North bleachers at the Betty so far away from the court? There's probably a good reason, but as far as adding a home court advantage, you'd think you'd want it to be a bit more on top of the court. Jody, your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a really good question and a really fair question. I would answer it by saying in a perfect world, I wish they were right on top of the court. (laughs) So what we had at the end of last season, we had portable bleacher sections on both the north and the south end. So if you think of them, there were four sections that had to be moved in or out and placed near the court there and set up, right? They were at the end of their life. There was safety issues with them. They had gotten to the stage where they needed to be replaced. So one of the things on that north end, we got to the point with the uh, seating manufacturers, we kind of had to pick a poison. We sought to make those automated as opposed to the prior ones were extremely labor intensive where each of those sections had to be moved in and out. And that actually compromised the structural integrity of them. The more you do that, 
So the thought was to try and create a set of bleachers on the north end where you could fix them to the wall that would allow you to automate that. So one of the issues we've had in the Betty in the past is we haven't been able to move bleachers very often, and that hurt the court time that was available to our student athletes. So while they had the main court in the middle of the gym, they didn't have access to the north and south as often as we'd like because we had bleachers set up there that were quote unquote hard to move and, and shouldn't be moved that often. So we fixed that north end bleacher section to the wall so that with a push of a button in five minutes, they can be extended out and ready to go. And five minutes after they're cleaned, they can be retracted and go back to the wall. So that opens up another court for our student athletes to get shots up, to train and to do individual things. If you think a, one team is practicing on the center court, other student athletes can be doing other things in other parts of the gym. So at the end of the day, we really prioritize the ability to quickly move that section in and out so that we could clear a court to make more court space and more court time available to our student athletes in the Betty. But the sacrifice is, is that it had to be fixed to that back wall. So in a perfect world, uh, in a perfect world, we would have been able to move it and automate it and do that quickly and have that first row closer to the end of the court on that side. But that was as close as they could get it when you talk about the engineering aspect of having it retract and get it off that court on the north end. So it's off the end of the north court. That's as close as we could get it out to the floor on that north end. So that's the reason why. And I share I share that desire. We'd like to have it as close to the court as possible. But admittedly, also looking at the Betty and saying, hey, capacity isn't our biggest issue, right? In terms of seating availability and the number of seats that are available for our fans, we kind of tried to find the balance there between those two things and tried to prioritize the development of our student athletes and our programs to make that court available more quickly and more readily and more frequently. But the sacrifice to that means that that, that section's a little further away from the court than we want it. Yeah, and I would say the the the, the labor uh, intensity to to move those bleachers was real as well, and so um, and probably not great for the bleachers, right? I mean, it probably it's like probably setting up a computer and taking it down, or or Alex, when you set up your cords, and eventually it's not great for that particular um, uh, whatever that whatever the it might be. In this case, it's seating. It, it, that cannot be great. So hopefully there'll be a little bit longer lifespan as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I uh, I would share the the question. I would share the opinion of the person that posed the question. I wish it was closer to the court as well, but I do too. At the end of the day, we kind of had to pick between a couple of uh, options and pick the one we thought had the best value to our programs and our student athletes. There. Yep. Yeah, those are the tough decisions that that you have to do in in situations like this. And I think everybody would agree that the right person's making those decisions for these facilities, Jody. As you're now in your 18th season. In charge? Yeah, time flies. Time flies. Well, we're excited to see what happens in the course of 2024 uh, for you and both the Ralph and the Betty. We really appreciate your time. Any big Christmas plans coming up for you and your family as we're just a couple days away? No, no, no big Christmas plans. Pretty quiet. Both uh, kids home from college, so they like to kind of stay close to home. And we uh, we just went up uh, here last weekend for a few hours on Sunday and did a little Canadian Christmas, but uh, 
the the rest of the time we'll be here in Grand Forks. How about you guys? You uh, sticking around town? Yeah, holidays in the Forks. Sounds like a show to me. Can't beat it. <laughs> Alex, what are the, what are awesome. the Heinert family uh, Christmas traditions? Uh, well, lately it's been just getting snowed in. We, we any any <laughs> any attempts to try and get any place have been stymied the last couple of years. But the weather is going to be great this time around. So we'll, we'll get out to see my family out in Western South Dakota for a couple of days, and and then get ready for the start of conference play and that national team development program game on the thirtieth. And and before we know it, right back into the fun. But yeah, it should be great. It should be a great holiday. I've got six, four, and two are the ages of my children. So this is like peak Christmas time. So. Um, Jody gave me some good advice prior to the Colorado College series about maybe enhancing the experience on Christmas morning by putting a little flower down in the kitchen and then putting some footprints so you can see that Santa oh. is walking through your kitchen. One of my old secrets, Bill. That, that's tree. a veteran move. That is a, yeah, veteran, a pretty good one. veteran move. That's a pretty good one. All right. Yep. I'll tell you well, what, I'll, uh, I'm going to be tied up between now and then lobbying the federal government to get Boxing Day made into a federal holiday. So I'll be busy uh, trying to get that squared away here. Okay, guys. Thanks, Jody. Excellent, Jody. Thanks, Thanks again for the time, buddy. Merry Christmas. You too. Thank you. Thanks again to Jody Hodgson for his time and his expertise today. Just a wealth of knowledge and a guy that's been at the top of his game and the top of that industry for so long. What a huge asset to the University of North Dakota at the Ralph and the Betty. Really interesting stuff from the present and the future perspective, Bill. Yeah, you know, we're we're really lucky to have Jody do what he does. And, uh, you know, I, I just um, know that our staff and uh, uh, the Ralph staff, they just work hand in glove. And uh, it's really seamless, ultimately. Europe, you know, you're upstairs and you see how it all works out. And it's a combination of athletic folks and Ralph folks. But would you ever even know if you came in from outer space? You probably wouldn't. No, you would not. No, everybody works together. And it's it's not a green blazer versus a white blazer situation. Everybody, everybody's got the same goal in mind. And it really shows. And when you, when you, especially on a game day like that, when you see things go off without a hitch and there's great communication and great cooperation between the two departments, it's, it's a pretty special bond. I think that UND and those two buildings have. Yeah, no doubt about it. Obviously it's a special building and, uh, and, 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 you know, and you hear it, from folks that come in, they can't believe the age of the building, right? Because it's just, it's, it's actually uh, just manicured ultimately. And it's just, uh, it's awesome. So we're incredibly fortunate. And as you said, and, and I think you said it, uh, it aptly, uh, the product's been awesome on the ice. It's been off the ice. It's been, you know, folks have um, really come in droves. Uh, we've been lucky. Our, our, um, the, our folks that um, we brought in uh, from Tamar, from a ticketing standpoint, they've done a nice job of uh, of kind of let's call them filling seats with groups and and, and folks that maybe otherwise have not uh, ever been able to get into the Ralph, and that helps us futuristically as well. So, so I think those are some of the things that you know we tried to put in motion this past summer, and I think it's uh, paying some dividends this year. Yeah, I would say so. No, it's been a tremendous year, and when you talk about that, thirteen home games. 
13 sellouts and you're not selling out a 5,000 seat no. facility. I mean, this is this 12,000 people in that building night in, night out. And you would expect that to continue now as we get started uh, in the second half of the season, which does begin on New Year's Eve, Eve on the 30th of December, an exhibition against the National Team Development Program. And that's always a fun game. I know the last couple of years, that's either been on New Year's Day or New Year's yep. Eve. So those games have been more matinees. But because it's going to be a normal Saturday, not on a holiday, that'll be a six o'clock start. And this is a great opportunity to come and see not just UND get ready to go for the second half, but then see some of the the future of UND, by the way. There are two committed players that are going to be on the blue line for that national team program who will be uh, one certainly will be a very high draft pick in EJ Emery another Sam Larilla who's just from down the road in Moorhead will be taken at some point those guys are going to be probably playing in Grand Forks in the next year or two so fun to see those kids get a chance to take the ice at the Ralph plus again the rest of this program that produces first round and second round picks like it's no tomorrow and the next wave of college hockey stars it's a great preview for who's going to be the faces of the game in the future. So a fun, always a fun exhibition game to see right around Christmas time. Yeah, it's good for our guys to get back on the ice. And that's for some of our other guys that maybe, um, you know, it gives them an opportunity as well to to kind of hit the ice to, too. So I, you know, it, it, because we've got a really good Alaska team coming in, uh, you know, after uh uh, New Year's. And so uh, uh, that first non-conference, last non-conference series, they've played pretty well. So uh, we, you know, it's it's going to be, uh, we'll have our hands full for sure against them. Yeah. The Danooks are currently 18th in yeah. the pairwise. Yep. And that's, that's where they were last year. They were right on the bubble and just missed out because of a couple of upsets in various conference tournaments or else they would have been a national tournament team a season ago. So that's kind of in the immediate future before NCHC play begins against Omaha on the 12th and 13th of January. Good stuff happening on the hockey side of things. Uh, Certainly for basketballs as well. Ben's basketball is eight and four right now. They have five D1 wins. That's the most in the summit. They have a big game coming up tomorrow at Nebraska. Really fun matchup against a Cornhusker team all of a sudden that is Seven and two and beat Michigan State recently. And yeah, it'll be a really good test for Paul Sather and company coming off a nice win against Utah Tech. Yeah, no doubt. Going to, uh, you know, we we went down obviously to Iowa City, uh, the first uh, game of the year and, you know, uh, a Big Ten opponent. Um, We know it's going to be a challenge, but hopefully, uh, knock on wood, that Iowa game will help us a little bit. I think maybe right off the right off the tip, if you will. And, you know, they're just they've got size everywhere. And so, at the end of the day, we've just got to uh, make sure we uh, we compete through that. But you're right; it was a nice win over the weekend uh, at Utah Tech, um, and uh, kind of a going away sort of win. And it was really good to see. I mean, Utah Tech kind of made it a little bit closer at the end, but I, I think that the decision had been uh, was was pretty much in the bank uh, midway through the second half. But uh, yeah, it was good, and it was good to see uh, Tyree back, uh, you know, with us after a couple of years uh, hiatus. And uh, it was an interesting week last week, Alex. Yeah, we're going to discuss that. I, one one follow-up on the Utah Tech game. Tracy Eaglestaff had 28 points, shot yep. lights out from three. He's the premier player of the week in the Summit League now for the second time this season. So congrats to Trey on that nod. Yes, Tyree Iannaccio making his debut this season in that game because of some big waves in the NCAA. This, uh, this suspension of transfer restrictions that came out after a court case came to trial and now there's going to be a separate case that'll be tried in the, in the spring after the semester wraps up just a lot of moving parts, but essentially it opened the door for players 
who had been denied eligibility or had waivers denied after they had transferred multiple times. You obviously were in the midst of this all week. What transpired and how you came to this decision that it was okay for him to play? Yeah, so so I'll I'll get a little bit um, granular here, but that's what we do on the pod, right? We can. So um, we can. So what ended up happening is when that particular case, um, when the judge uh, issued the temporary restraining order, which meant it was a fourteen day window where you could play without penalty that you're playing. In an ineligible player, so so in, 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 in all of these all of these student athletes at this point in time were deemed ineligible based on the transfer rules. So the judge had basically said, "Hey, obviously the season's uh, clipping by here to some degree, so we're going to put a temporary restraining order in place for a 14 day window. Get back at it, December 27th." And then what ended up happening was, well, in just the way an organization runs, well, there's multiple bylaws. So the one bylaw that there was going to be no penalty on was the actual playing of an ineligible player. But really the issue became, and that's what I was trying to get clarity on so that I could at least let Tyree know what he was dealing with at this stage of the game, because there was a minute after that ruling came out and I say minute, but there was about, about a, let's just say 12 hour window where you would have risked a season of competition. If that 14 days window say reverted back to the, if it reverted back to the original rules, you would have used a season and, and at the end of the day, or you could take a chance and, and hope that the ruling goes the way it ultimately went at this point. But you didn't know it in, in that real time. And so so really, I just had to give him really the information of where we were at right now, not knowing it, something else was going to come down. I, I We had a sneaky suspicion it could even come down the next day, which it did, because at the end, I don't think the judge, and why would the judge know, that he wanted penalty-free with the one bylaw, but at the end of the day, there was another one that potentially could penalize a student athlete if it went the other way. So that's that's the reason for the secondary uh, preliminary injunction. So now the preliminary injunction goes to the end, actually now to the spring season, not even the not even the winter season. So again, all the all these transfers that have uh, transferred multiple times are now eligible until the end of the this academic year. And then at that point, there will be an adjudication of what the transfer rules will look like moving forward after that. So hopefully I've explained it okay, but it, it was it, it we were in a we were in a kind of a window where I, I just didn't know what was going to happen at some point. And it really would have been up to Tyree and his family to decide what kind of gamble do you want to take at that point? Do you risk a potential year? Or not. Well, once he heard the ruling, of course he wanted to play. And so mm-hmm. here we are today. It was interesting to see that play out in real time when there just weren't answers being provided. And obviously the NCAA is working through all this as well. But it was unique to see, yeah, this two-week window <laughs> where you just didn't know what was going to come from that. If that would be the case, would that get extended? Would that, as you said, just be for two weeks? And then if you played, well... 
that's now you have one less year to play moving forward and you got two games in and, and that's it. Or would there be a penalty if you did play and then the ruling got reversed and all the, like they're just, there were just a lot of questions and I know we don't have like definitive answers moving forward, but at least for this yep. school year, now we know the rules of engagement. That's right. And, and I would say, you know, the NCAA uh, on that second day enjoined the, the, with, uh, uh, well, basically, both sides agreed that, you know what, for the benefit or to not penalize the students that are in this position right now, will agree to this. It doesn't mean that that's going to be an absolute rule moving forward at some stage. That That's more to come. But you know you're not risking potentially a year of eligibility. Now, Tyree was in a u- unique position because he had two years uh, of eligibility. Others probably only had one year. So you'd really possibly be gambling that it would go your way, or you could have played during that two week period. And all of a sudden that could have been your college career. So, so it was really interesting. And, you know, and again, I, 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 we, we see every day how uh, folks are quick to give you an analysis or an assessment on something. it was not all correct when it first came out, like because it, in some ways, yes, it was penalty free, but not penalty free when you looked at the totality of it. And that's why I was I, I needed to hear from the home office in Indianapolis. I, I needed to hear what was going on there before you could then advise not even advise, a prize is a better word, a prize which your student has in front of them at that point in time so that they can make a good decision. This, by the way, all stemmed from an original case, I believe it was the state of Ohio et al. versus the NCAA. Could you give us some insight on what that initial case was? Like, How did this come to be in the first place? The idea was that the rule was restrictive. And at the end of the day, that you should be able to transfer as many times as you want and play. You should be eligible whenever you get to play. I I think it was more, uh, it was, it was really restrictive at the end of the day. And I think the courts have, have found it at least in this moment to be the case. Now, like I said, I, I don't know enough like where this will end up going at some stage, but it certainly in this moment of time, there's clarity for the student athletes that are in this situation. It's so unique right now because the way that we've been trained to think about the the way the NCAA works and how eligibility works and what transferring means, et cetera, we have this long history of understanding what the rules are. And now things are kind of changing and people are questioning that, not just in an NCAA perspective, but this just happened yesterday. The NWSL, we're both soccer people. The NWSL, which is the highest women's league in North America, have two expansion teams coming in. They had an expansion draft. And and players were really upset about this, of like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just signed with this team, and now you're telling me that this other team has just plucked me, and I'm a, I've been in the league for a couple of years, and, and I don't know if there's going to be an injunction through this, but it's just the simple act of people starting to question, wait, shouldn't I have more say? Do, don't I have a right to pick where I want to play? I know it's it's not exactly the same, but it's just interesting to see that this is – these are the conversations that are being had in sports. Yeah, right now in yeah. This so, so I I would say probably two things that in in really maybe we're headed in some ways to this direction, until you have something that's bargained, right? So if you have a collective bargaining agreement to some degree, and that's that's 
what you've decided to do because you're part of that players union. I'm not sure how much uh, you have to say at that point in time, or I don't know what kind of legal recourse you have. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a lawyer, but at the end of the day, um, it would seem like as a whole, you've been bargained for already. What's different, I think, in the college uh, landscape right now is absent of that at this stage of the game. It, it, it feels as if every rule that, that has been in place to some degree is being challenged legally at this stage of the game. So, so that's why President Baker is trying to get some level of I'll call it skinny antitrust exemption from Congress to be able to say, hey, look, an organization, an association should be able to make their own rules. And 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 if the members are making the rules, because really, at the end of the day, when the states are suing the NCAA, they're really suing their own schools. (laughs) That's really what's happening. And so because we're the ones ultimately that vote on those rules. Now, you can argue that the rules should be changed, that they're archaic, that they should evolve. They should. I mean, fill in the blank. Sure. You can argue that. No doubt about it. But that is what the membership has agreed to. But what ends up happening, it would seem as if when the rule doesn't fit you, now we're going to go to the courts and the courts are now favoring against really the association's rules at this point. That's why we're in this kind of moment of time where you're trying to figure out the next iteration of how college athletics is going to play out, which will make the NCAA convention very interesting. I mean, so I, you know, we're, I'm heading out there in January and mm-hmm. Dr. Armacost will be there. And in fact, uh, uh, I guess a little bit of a preview in one of our pods in January, we're going to have Dr. Armacost on. So we'll have Dr. Armacost on after we get back from the NCAA convention. Cause I'll love to hear his perspective, certainly from a pres- presidential chair in all of the conversations he's had. That's going to be a fascinating podcast, and not, not to say to say nothing of what the convention will be. I'm really excited to have Andy on to discuss these things with you and your your take from what could be potentially like a really seminal moment in college athletics when everybody gets together and, and talks through some of these things. It's going to be late January. Get ready. Yep. Here we go. January 23rd. That's the pod date. So probably be uh, out on the 24th. Nice. So something to look forward to there. Well, anyway, good job helping Tyree and Paul Sather and company navigate this. From a UND men's basketball perspective, hey, this guy was the freshman of the year in the conference a couple of years ago, and now you're just going to throw him into this team that's been playing well. And obviously, he's been practicing with the team and preparing as if he's been going, you know, as as if he would be a part of this team on the court during live action. So, that's a great boost to this group who's been playing awfully well. And like I said, we'll find out how things go against the Cornhuskers on Wednesday, 630. That game can be watched on, on BT+. And then conference play gets started right after Christmas with a big game against a St. Thomas team that just about took Oof. down Marquette. Yeah. Number seven in the country the other day. Uh, and that game will be live on CBS Sports Network. So that's kind of a fun way to kick off the Summit League on CBS 
uh, coming up on the 29th. It'll be great. Yeah. I, Tyree has been playing mainly kind of like that scout team, if you will. So uh, he has been providing really good looks throughout the year. So, you know, you add someone that certainly is going to play a lot at this point in time. He's going to be a 30, 30 a minute type of guy at some point in time. So there's going to be an adjustment that's got to be made right now because we do have a pretty deep team as well. So, so I think roles will have to be, you know, shifted a bit to some degree, but he's so malleable. Uh, you know, he, he can play really literally, he can guard the one, two, three, or four. I mean, and depending on the team we're playing, it could be one through five, honestly. And then, you know, obviously he, he, he does a great job distributing the basketball and he just, uh, but it, I think it's going to take a little bit right now to, to probably figure that piece out, but, uh, but it's exciting. In a perfect world, he would have been allowed to play from the start and you could have figured those things out in non-conference, but you're excited to have him on board and you'll figure it out as you go, even if that means having a couple of trial and error moments early in conference season. It'll be fun to see how this team continues to come together. Uh, the women, by the way, they have another big non-conference game coming up on the 21st. They'll be hosting Drake coming up on Thursday. That's another really good team from the Missouri Valley Conference that's traditionally been one of the better teams in that league. And then they'll start conference play at St. Thomas on the 29th before hosting South Dakota State on New Year's Eve in a, a part of a Summit League doubleheader on CBS Sports Network. So a lot of good stuff coming there uh, for Mal and company as they get set to turn the page on non-conference play. Quick, quick, a quick update on the Drake game. And, and again, you might wonder why we're doing a noon game that day. Um, it really was as simple as because it was the, kind of the holiday time at this stage, Drake was willing to come to Grand Forks, which was awesome. But they said, hey, but we want to play and again, we, knowing we had no school going on at this point in time, wanted to play early in the day so that they could get back and say they could disperse their players. So it's as simple as that. I mean, there there was really no other real strategy behind it other than we were able to get a great Division One game in Grand Forks. Good communication between the folks from Des Moines and the Grand Forks crew to make those things happen. It's the holidays. Like you said, that's, that's putting the student athletes first, allowing them to get back home, yep. to get where they need to go for Christmas in a expedited fashion versus having to travel all night on bus or, or whatever that would look like to get back at a normal time. So be aware of that. So the 21st Drake noon start. Uh, the day before on Wednesday, again, remember men's basketball taken on Nebraska at night. In the morning, football has a signing day special coming up live at 10 o'clock on Midcoast Sports. This is, I think, like the eighth or ninth year in a row that we've done this with Bubba Schweigert and company. It's just a fun way to look at some of the young that have signed on to the program and chat with the coaches and the coordinators. Uh, that's a big deal, of course, and, and that'll be a live hour-long show that'll air in the morning and then again a couple of times at night or, or anytime you want to on Midcoast Sports Plus. Uh, looks like another big freshman class coming in for Bubba and company to join this group that had another really good season this last year. It's a big day for all of these high school students that are able to sign a letter of intent. I mean, it's a it's really a special day and you all do such a great job with it and make it even more special for them to some degree. The families, they, they've put a lot of time, uh, you know, blood, sweat and tears into it and to be able to be rewarded uh, to play at the division one level in, in any sport is special, but, uh, but yeah, it, it should be a fun fun day and you know I, I obviously the the bulk of our recruiting still 
is is you know from a high school perspective that's where we want to be that's where we want to develop uh student athletes obviously there's you know the the ability as we just talked about transfers the ability for someone to come and and maybe i'll call it fill a hole right away i mean certainly it is out there and we're, we're looking in both uh both areas at this stage of the game, but, but certainly the bulk of our, 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 our recruits are our freshmen. Yeah. So that's exciting coming up on Wednesday. I know you've often had thoughts about what signing day should maybe look like. And I know now it's a, a two-part episode with one in December and one in February, any new thoughts, any new opinions on what signing day should be? No, I, you know, I, I'd say this, I've had this conversation with our um with Bubba and and a few folks um my counterparts what we need to do and I, it really is up to the coaches to some degree in my opinion um and and to be hopefully a really good conversation the 12 month calendar right now in football's gotten a little weird with uh kind of the signing day the transfer portal piece right at the end when it should be the height of, of what's going on postseason wise and yet it's 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 turned into a weird time frame because obviously the the cycle of coaches uh that that are uh leaving programs and and, and taking over programs it's just it, it should be really the zenith of the season but it really seems like you're spinning five plates at once right now that's what it feels like and i wish we could do something a little different with the with the 12 month calendar right now i mean football used to always be the best at it and now it's gotten a little wonky at this point in time it just feels like there's just it feels like there's layers on top of layers right now going on and uh i'm not sure that's great I, i'll be honest with you i mean you want to celebrate what's going on postseason but but there's other things occurring at this stage of the game I suppose the fact that there are like 14 games now in FBS level versus 11, like it used to be, like you've extended that season a little bit. And they, they obviously, yeah, there's a lot of things that have changed over the last 15 years or so from what the calendar used to be to what it is now. But, if, you know, if um, maybe the NCAA will, will go with the Chip Kelly model and, and change some things up in that regard. Uh, what, what did you think, by the way, of Chip's comments? It, it seemed to certainly make a lot of sense on paper that football should maybe just be separate and we should have kind of go back to the regionalized conferences as we used to have for the other sports and allow football to sort of have two divisions and kind of do its own thing. It was a really, it seemed like a really well thought out plan from the former Oregon Ducks head coach. Yeah, no, I appreciate any, um, any ideas of where maybe it, it, we need to go. I think, I think that we've all said that to some degree, it feels like football, the, the movement in conference alignments have been really predicated based on the sport of football. And so at the end of the day, I'm not sure that's great for all the other sports at, at that point in time. I think that was his point to some degree. The only thing that's tricky, and I, I don't know how you would, and you just, I guess would do it. You'd have to unwind a lot of uh, media contracts because one of the things he said in there as well was, you know, well, there should just be one then media contract that would then feed this, entity or enterprise. And I don't know enough how those things go, but I know that they're a long ways out right now. Just look at what the ACC is dealing with. I think they go to 36, Alex. I, I could be wrong with that, but that feels right when there was the conversations about Florida State and Clemson. And, and so I don't know how you unwind all of that, but I think on its most macro level, I think what he's trying to say is, look, we play one game a week 
we probably can go to New Jersey and play a game. We probably that that isn't as taxing probably as let's just say UCLA softball, right? Going to the East Coast or or, or heck, even going to the Midwest. I mean, that'll be a challenge too. So I don't know. I something's got to happen though, Alex. I, it feels like you know it's almost like you need a big town hall meeting for for like the United States because at the end of the day, everyone's <laughs> got their opinion about this. They all love it. But at the end of the day, you know, at some point there's got to be concessions like as to what this thing should look like at this point. But when you're competitive, what ends up happening is everyone reverts back to their camp and they end up doing what maybe is right for themselves and not necessarily what's right for the greater good. It's going to be tough to find those altruistic motives amongst, as you said, a group of people who are incredibly competitive in college football, of course, is very tribal in that sense where you really go all out for either your school or your region or or whatever it used to be your conference not so much anymore but um i think that's that would that's what makes this hard people are very passionate I, we we've seen this certainly on the, the political spectrum that people have a tough time shifting from their stance college football is no different really and it, like you said it probably needs to change something needs to change in college athletics it's just a matter of figuring out the best thing how do you navigate all the things that have now been put into paper and signs? And there's a lot of money involved and a lot of different people that have a say. It'll be interesting. There's a lot of moving parts. And, you know, I I think at, at its most basic and macro level, President Baker's just trying to figure out what can be the next, call it 10, 20, 30, 40 years of what this college athletics enterprise can be because it's special. I mean, for the most part, it, it feeds many of our Olympic teams. I mean, if you really think of it, you know, I mean, so at the end of the day, I, I mean, the one thing you want to do is provide opportunities for students. And this has been an awesome opportunity for, for students to be able to get an education while doing something they love that is valued by our society as well. But it, what's ended up happening right now, it just feels like there's so much friction in the enterprise at this point in time that we just, we feel ruleless at this point in time. And we've got to get to a better place where you have some understanding of what the rules of engagement are. I think it's the classic case of just losing the plot a little bit. Feels that way. Feels that way. What's the point? I think we've sort of forgotten again. What was the point of all this in the first place? Yeah, it's to give, give these young and women an opportunity to compete and, and do this in, in a way that makes sense both financially and physically for them to keep their academics at a high level. And yeah, if they want to continue doing this professionally, awesome. But it just seems like now we've kind of lost our way a little bit in the grand scheme. Well, so, I mean, and- some would say if we, if we, and if we're flipping a little bit to the B side at this point in time, but, but it's kind of, a, let's call it, it's an A and a half side is, is, you know, I think folks would say the same thing when that project big picture was in play right now, that, 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 that the biggest clubs in Europe was losing the plot a little bit about how you could provide opportunities for every club in that, in that, uh, in Europe, as far as playing European soccer. And it, it just, um, that didn't go over well either, uh, by most no, it did not. And the thing with that now, obviously different model between the NCAA and what we saw over there. But basically there was a 
when the word broke that, yeah, we were going to have like this European Super League and that the best teams, the biggest teams from the the five biggest leagues were going to break away and kind of do their own thing. The fans basically came out and said, no, you're not. You're not going to do that. We're not going to support this. And it got halted. I think there was just a maybe a 48-hour, 72-hour period where it felt like this was happening. And there was so much disgust <laughs> probably amongst the populace that the owners of those clubs, for the most part, said, no, we actually, we maybe shouldn't do this. We didn't realize there was going to be this type of backlash. And and so it didn't happen. It, essentially, the people the people won in that particular which, stage. Which, which to me is you can liken our basketball uh, basketball tournaments right both men and women i mean to some degree and and now we're you know looking at what you know volleyball just uh, encountered uh, you know and softball's been great and baseball's been great so all of these things you know have been incredibly valued by us for so long but I think some folks are just worrying is, is the sanctity of those particular tournaments going to be intact when we get to the other side, because it's not guaranteed. I mean, it's just not. And so, you know, or, or it might be different and and indifferent doesn't mean worse. I mean, it it could be, it could be even, even Steven, or it could be, could be better. Could be better. Could be better. It's the mystery box situation. You, you just don't know. It could- door one, door two, <laughs> door three. That's right. We'll see what the new year brings, which is now just like a week and a half away. That's right. That's right. Well, we've got our festive fixtures to be able to uh, watch there, Alex. We do. Yes. Lots of soccer coming up. Now a full a full true flip to a quick B-side here before we break for the holidays. Uh, a lot of games in a short period of time. There'll be three Premier League matches for pretty much all 20 teams over over a week period, essentially starting right before Christmas. Games on Boxing Day, games kind of midweek as well, and then games right around the New Year. So right now, the way the table looks, it'll probably change quite a bit, potentially, given the way the top teams are playing and who they're playing. There's a Liverpool-Arsenal game coming up. Spurs, which are in fifth right now, you're not out of the picture by any stretch. You get a couple of potentially winnable games coming up. You've won two on the bounce, by the way, after five in a row without a win. Ange Ball back on. You keep taking red cards. That's you, <laughs> that's the one issue. <laughs> Got to keep 11 on the pitch. Bro. Yeah, I know. We're, uh, you know, it'll be interesting how it plays out. I, I well, So, so a couple things that's going to be challenging for them. Correct. We continue to take some red cards, which then suspend your players. Not good. We've had some injury problems. Plus there's another international uh, break coming up for some players uh, in January. So there's just a lot of moving parts. Now, hey, you know what? Spurs aren't the only team. There's a lot of teams that have had some injury woes. And it's challenging. Newcastle. I think Newcastle, Alex, played uh, five matches in a row with the same 11. Yeah, because they didn't have anybody else. It wasn't over like five weeks. I mean, it was a condensed, a condensed schedule. So they play too much. They probably do. I mean, this is this is the similar thing that we're experiencing now. We we just had used European football as a good example of how you can say, wait a minute, hold up, this isn't a good model, and and see change happen. But also, that's like the worst model at the same time because they've packed the calendar to such an extent because you've got these, you know, between the leagues themselves and then FIFA as a whole and international play and these club competitions and all these other things. There's no room to breathe. And yeah, guys are playing probably too much. There's too much soccer on. And this will continue to be an issue with these international tournaments as the World Cup expands to 48 teams. And 
it just this club world cup that's coming with 32 teams now we don't need this it's just we keep saying it but you're gonna kill the golden goose like this is what's gonna happen you're gonna push this too far and people are gonna stop caring as much because there's just too much of it and the quality's gonna go down and we're it's gonna be lesser because yeah it it feels like you know obviously there is an appetite for for great soccer but it's it's i don't it's going to reach a point where there's going to be diminishing returns and at, at the end of the day maybe we're heading there at this stage of the game it's hard to say but yeah i i feel for those guys they are um a lot of soft tissue injuries there's a lot of you know it's just it's not great uh, not great at all and and again it's a you know in, in as much as there's a lot of theater that goes on in those games they're pretty physical games and they're demanding and there are just general injuries that occur too. But what's happening is it's the wear and tear injuries right now. That's just not great. What you want to see in these matches is best on best. You want to see the best players yeah. playing each other in competitions that matter. And there's a reason why, like when the men's world championships for hockey comes around, I'm not super invested because it's a lot of guys that are, are obviously exceptional hockey players because they're playing at this high level. But it's not it's not like it's Nick David taking on Ovechkin yeah. and Matthews like yeah. this this isn't that's not where we are and, and I think the problem with soccer is that for a long time we've had best on best in the World Cup and in some of these club competitions but because there become now so many of them like well it's a Nations League game or it's a whatever and I'm just less invested because I know like ah, it's actually not the best players on this team. And if they lose, it doesn't really matter because there'll be another backdoor that they can get into the final. I've just watched much less lately because it just doesn't seem to be obviously the quality is diminished and it's not it doesn't yep. mean as much. So less games that mean more is better in every sense. And we haven't quite figured that out yet. Yeah, and it's what's interesting, and I think, you know, obviously Adam Silver and the NBA dipped their toe in the water of an in-season tournament, and it was done a little bit differently. I mean, so, I mean, it it just – it, it wasn't quite exactly what what is uh, happening in the soccer realm, but it, it gave the American fan at least some indication of what goes on over there. But what's odd is when you start watching over there and you see all of these types of tournaments, it was fascinating to me at some point in time that there's actually a business decision. Eh. Do I want to win this? Do I not want to win it? Do I want to be in this or not? There's actually that conversation being had by fan bases yeah, too, right? 100%. Like it's it's hey man, getting out of that one may actually help us in the long well, run. This this week is a great example. So Liverpool play West Ham in the League Cup, the Carabao Cup, which is like the third tier competition basically, on the 20th of December. Now they're in the they're in the quarterfinals right now. So they've reached that stage where it's like, okay. I mean, three more wins and we win a trophy, and that is a big deal. So it's probably worth it to go for it. But they now have to turn around and play Arsenal three days later. Arsenal are out of the League Cup. They they can just focus solely on that match. So as a coach, you've got to say, well, what do we want to prioritize? How much do we want to go after this midweek match in this cup competition? Or do we honestly play guys who we are not planning on playing on the weekend against the team that we are in direct competition for for a league championship? It is a huge advantage for Arsenal that they can just have a full week of training and focus solely on the team right behind them, where Liverpool now have to make these decisions. So 
it's you're 100 percent correct now the in-season tournament obviously a little bit different because those were regular season games that doubled as a tournament which was kind of brilliant i think in that sense where they didn't add these games the games mattered almost doubly in some sense because you were you were also playing for this trophy yeah. i mean the yeah. lakers just unveiled the banner last night obviously they care about this that <laughs> i like how by the way they, it's, it's just one banner though bill they're not going to raise multiples they'll just put the numbers on there just just like und would do for a conference championship they'll just yeah it's the numbers in there but anyway it's just interesting there's a lot of different ways to approach this. L- last thing, by the way, because we're speaking about NBA just briefly, Celtics-Lakers, Christmas Day, 4 o'clock, Baltimore-San Francisco, 7-15, Monday Night Football. Have we ever had a Christmas Day where people's detentions are going to be more divided away from their families because we've got these great sporting competitions? Those are great games. This is a tricky thing to navigate now on Christmas, Bill. Your thoughts on Christmas Day viewing and your priorities. So... It depends on where you are in life. Yes. So, uh, you know, uh, some of us have, let's just call it older children (laughs) that will be very vested in the sporting events. Mm -hmm. Others, let's just say fathers on this screen might be putting together (laughs) things that day because you have to. More assembly required on this end. Post, post, post (laughs) unwrapping, right? There's probably pre and post. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. La- last one for me. Last one for me. Please. Question for you. Okay. Will Yamamoto be underneath our Christmas tree this year? <laughs> My gut would be no. It sounds like there is a pretty heated bidding war going on between a couple of teams with sort of unlimited wealth in uh, let's just in, in the in the boroughs. Uh, so I, I don't think that that's going to be something that we'll get to celebrate and unwrap on Christmas morning, but I could be wrong. What do you think, Bill? Um, I think our only chance is Yoshida. Yeah, that'd be the one that'd be the one trump card that we could play. He's got to make a decision. Does he literally want to be in New York or does he want to be? And, and, and not that New York isn't a great baseball town, great baseball city, but does he want to be in a baseball town, if you will, because he would be, you know, must see TV every single time he takes them out. So I don't know. I, I think they're going to, th- I still think they're meeting with him. I could be wrong. I, th- I think they're having a second meeting with them. So yeah, you got to pull out all the Trump cards, right? You bring in Pedro and, you know, and Ortiz and, and uh, you know, and, I don't know. You, I mean, he's got the same build as Pedro to some degree. Mm. Multiple pitches that mm-hmm. he's like it, he he's he'll be good. He'll be. I mean, twenty five years old. I mean, I, it's a uh, it would be awesome, you know. And again, maybe we bring Dice K back, right? I mean, that's, just kind of get him get him rolling. <laughs> I was gonna say like that's we've had had we've had some success. I mean, there there's we been, have there's been a history of Japanese pitchers doing okay. Yep. At Fenway with this organization. Who was our, our closer, too? Our closer was good. Yes. Uh, um, goodness. Now I'm blanking Koji. on Koji. Koji. Yes. That's right. He was great. I'll tell you what, though. He had a sneaky, good little few years. He had a good run. Yeah. Man, that's bringing it back. I know. I know. So there you go. That's what I got for you. But no, I, I, it, it'll, be, it'll be a great time. And I hope, you know, all the fans 
that you're having a great time during your holiday season with your family, for sure. Stay safe, um, stay warm, uh, hopefully knock on wood, uh, the, the weather will cooperate like it is right now. And hopefully you'll be able to get to wherever you're going, Alex. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. I hope so too. Yeah. It's everybody listening out there. Yeah. Really enjoy this time with your family, with your loved ones. Uh, appreciate the time that you have, hopefully for a couple days off work to just be, and maybe watch, maybe watch a football or a basketball game. <laughs> it won't be a Steeler game. <laughs> that is really hard Bills right out. now. Bills out on Pittsburgh. And listen, man, I've been out for at least a month. Yeah, it, it, mm-hmm. it's been hard. It's a hard one right now. They're, um, they're there's got they've got some issues. Uh, they they've got worse issues than just the quarterback issue right now. They they've got they've got non blocking issues. There there's some there's some things going on there. So uh, I, the, the Tomlin will regroup. <laughs> Well, good luck as you sort those things out over the holiday season or, or ignore them, I suppose. Maybe that's that's the play. I, whatever hey, you man, choose, Bill. We found a way to lose to you all, and that yeah. probably didn't help. Yeah, not great. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, Wasn't great. Not great. For you. Not great for no. anybody. Everybody lost that night. Uh, got it. So. Everyone lost. That's Everybody exactly lost. Right. Uh, Carolina at least got a nice win for us this weekend, so we'll see. It's currently, currently tied with Arizona for the second worst record in the league, so... Just keep just keep losing, boys. We might lose our way well, into a good quarterback. We provided the opportunity for you with Arizona beating the Steelers. So, That's so true. if there's a team that was vying for the top pick in the draft, we played them and we lost them. <laughs> and we appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. You're awesome. welcome, Bill. Always, always fun hanging out. Have a great okay. holiday season. Okay, absolutely. You too. Awesome. Best to the Heiner family. Yes, and to the Chaveses as well. Uh, so, well, so for Bill Chaves and for Jody Hodgson, Alex Soccer Johnson and Paul Ralston, I'm Alex Heiner saying thanks again for listening. We will be back with another episode of the Bill Chaves podcast in the new year. Until then, have a happy and safe holiday, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.